Are you ready for another infuriating story, but this time made slightly more humorous by watching a terrible horror movie? Yes, I am. Welcome to Femacabre, a podcast about life's mysteries, oddities, and of course, the macabre. Hosted by Stephanie Malosh and Darren Vance. researching Nova Scotia's Butterbox Babies, I came across a Canadian indie horror film based on this story. Obviously, I had to watch it, and obviously, I had to make Steph Mm -hmm. watch it. (laughs) So, Steph was actually the first person to find out about this story. There wasn't a ton on Wikipedia or relevant forums about the Nova Scotia Butterbox Babies, so being the biggest nerd on the planet, I instantly ordered like the one book about the case and yeah i stole steph's thunder let's just make this clear to all of the listeners that i'm the one with the ideas aaron's just the one with the really good words to explain it all (laughs) except for when i completely screw up grammatically and steph starts reading the script and she's like what do you mean what is this sentence (laughs) or she reads a sentence out loud and i'm like that made no sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes the writing is worse than what my year three is right for their creative writing stuff. <laughs> yeah. We try. We try. I try. Sometimes I'm just tired or drunk or overwhelmed by emotion at the terrifying. Or sometimes you're me and you're all three. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tired, drunk, and sad. So me in a nutshell. <laughs> That should be my Tinder bio. <laughs> we watched a terrible horror movie. Oh, yeah. But honestly, okay. Terrible is an understatement. Full disclaimer, <laughs> full disclaimer I thoroughly enjoyed every second. <laughs> but I have I have notoriously bad taste in movies. So I can't. So do it. I, though. But this was just, so, like, next level. <laughs> have to say for a canadian horror movie it was pretty good to be fair i don't think i've ever seen another canadian horror movie (laughs) my brother's been in a couple and they've all been pretty bad (laughs) will your brother hate i only will your brother hate you if we put if we leave that in the podcast he told me that himself I haven't actually seen any of them. Oh, okay. So. But I've seen way too many pictures that I'd like to see of him, like, as a shirtless zombie. Why is that a thing? Why is that a thing? I don't get it. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Steph, please describe the 2018 Canadian horror film, The Child Remains, in three words. Okay. Okay. Uh, confusing, (laughs) unclear, (laughs) CGI baby, that was one word, CGI baby, (laughs) CGI baby, (laughs) (laughs) actually no, I changed my three words to terrible CGI baby. I mean, I feel like I was mostly on board until the CGI baby because there is never, never a circumstance in which a CGI baby is necessary. Never. It's it completely just it like, okay, yeah, the movie had something to do with dead babies, um, but to put in like a CGI baby for no reason other to just other than just crawling around and also like we've seen the hobbit and making we know CGI and, can be good uh yeah duh like what i'm sorry canada but like up your CGI game come on Ugh. okay okay it was we will come back to CGI the CGI baby. baby the CGI baby was the scariest part of this entire movie it was so I guess we should probably tell you about the movie. It's called... Yeah, but... 
<laughs> it's called The Child Remains. It came out in 2018. And it stars Suzanne Clement. Clement? Clement? She was Quebecois, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Anyway, Shelley Thompson and Alan Hocko, who's kind of a hottie. And also kind of looks like a guy I dated. He's kind of a hottie, but also a problematic douchebag in the movie. Oh, he had some issues. I didn't know what was going on with his character. Okay, like the entire movie, the entire movie, I wasn't sure if he was trying to fuck or be fucked. Like, I don't know. And like, he would flip flop between like, I can't wait to be a daddy and you should get an abortion whore. What the fuck? I don't know, but he needs to go away. Don't get it. (laughs) And fuck off. (laughs) Anyway, this movie was directed and written by Michael Melsky. IMD. So here, okay, here's the IMDb description. An expectant couple's intimate weekend turns to terror when they discover their secluded country inn is a haunted maternity home where unwanted infants and mothers were murdered. Inspired by the true story of the infamous Butterbox Babies, The Child Remains is a twisting supernatural thriller, an homage to slow burn vintage horror like The Shining, Rosemary. Not at all. Not at all. And Session 9. Wrong. <laughs> Starring Cannes Best Actress winner Suzanne Clement as Mommy. I'm pretty sure she had a name. Yeah, I, it was Ray de la Tour. Because I remember her saying, oh yeah, my name is Ray, Ray de la Tour. And I was just like, okay, pretentious much? Anyway. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> The Child Remains is a character-driven, psychological, scary movie for adults. Specifically adults. It's not for children. (laughs) No, obviously not. They don't want children to see the CGI baby. Otherwise, they would be scared shitless. Do do you think the (laughs) film lives up to that summary? (laughs) No, because the movie you just described sounds so much better than the movie we watched. (laughs) There will be spoilers ahead, so if you actually want to watch this movie, I mean... Pause now. Pause. Go to YouTube or Amazon Prime and watch the movie, then come back. I encourage you to watch it because, like, the more people watch Canadian movies, the better they'll get. So, please watch it. Yes. Please watch more Canadian movies so that our movies can actually be good. (laughs) Also, it's funny and it's, like, it's so Nova Scotian and I, I desperately love Nova Scotia, so I liked... The filmography, I guess, is what it's called. Is that what it's called? We're not I mean, movie experts. Did we really? We didn't see much of Nova Scotia at all. We saw a forest with a bunch of dead trees in it. This is true. I'm just, I'm just trying to encourage people to watch Canadian horror movies. Oh too. yeah, yeah. Fantastic movie, A plus, must watch. Ten out of ten stars. The scariest movie I have ever seen. I guess my brother is a horror movie actor now, so. He needs money so he can fund my life as a reclusive writer. Nobody can see this, but Erin's been swirling her <laughs> glass of wine angrily towards the camera as she's been saying all of this. <laughs> somebody help me, please. We should do more episodes like this. We should just review movies about historical events. Oh my god. Okay, yeah, Femme Macabre is now becoming a film review podcast. Mark always gets mad at me because whenever we watch anything, I instantly start Googling it to see if anything is true. And then if any part of it is based mm. on truth, I'm like yelling out facts to him as we watch the but movie. But how true? Or I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> and like, even if we're if we're watching anything historical, I'm like, just so you know, Mark, like that's not the type of dress they wo- they would have worn in 1940. Like that that that's very obviously a 1980s recreation. This is not historically accurate. And he's just like, Aaron, I'm trying to watch a movie, please. I have a problem. Basically, this movie has told me never to trust any romantic partner who wants to go on a weekend getaway. <laughs> Um, this movie has taught me that I want to go stay at more old inns and learn about local history. (laughs) It also has taught me that I really, really, like, my life goal is to be a library in charge of guarding a terrible secret. Mm. A librarian, not a library. (laughs) I know. It would be cool to be a library, but, like, 
I, I to too would love to be a librarian. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like to be a librarian in charge of a terrible secret. Uh, was she in charge of a terrible secret though? She was totally a snitch and was just like, "Hey, people are inquiring she was a bit of about a your in." Ugh. Anyway, she was a bit of a um, snitch. She also stole that juicy tidbit from a book, like the piece of paper in the book. Oh yeah. Okay. The think, librarian think... was not the most redeemable character. Let's let's leave it at that. No. Hmm. I think this movie has taught me to. Never have Never CGI get married. babies. <laughs> Don't marry jingle writers who want to be composers who then commune Ugh. with the dead in order to write better compositions. Was that what happened? <laughs> I don't really know. I think so. Okay, so I think this movie was just trying to take on too many things at once. So it let's try to dissect everything. this. It, okay, so let's just start with the characters. So the main character is a woman, uh, is a journalist in her 40s who is pregnant, uh, but suffers from PTSD from having been a young crime reporter and having been to multiple crime scenes um, and has, throughout the movie, all of these weird flashbacks that make no sense. So... For an hour They're and a half. They're not to one event. No. They are about... They're about the bodies in on the property of the inn of, like, the deceased mothers and of the dead babies and, like, the blood around the house and things like that from women bleeding out after giving birth and shit. And it's like she has ghost PTSD. Ghost PTSD. That's exactly what it is. But it was, like... I get she has PTSD. They keep referring to it as her condition, her ailment, my illness. Uh, uh, uh. And I'm like, okay, what are you referring to? Is it your PTSD, your uh, pregnancy, or are they talking about some secret ability of her being a psychic and being able to commune with ghosts and seeing them? And then, like, I'm still okay. confused. The husband, he's just like, you used to be the most rational person ever. You would never believe in ghosts. And the whole time he's seeing fucking ghosts. Ugh. And Ugh. like, okay. He's ghosts. Oh, and the husband had been to the inn before. I was just going to say that. So the husband had gone to the inn with his mistress. And, ugh. okay, so the ghosts are like, you're a dirty, that's dirty who, dude. That's who and that they, lady was? Yeah, I, so he I had thought a it mistress. was a previous. I thought it was a previous. I thought he had been there with a previous girlfriend, and that he also forced her to have an abortion at this inn, who still ran as like an abortion, like underground abortion place. Um, but okay, but the inn supposedly closed in like the '60s because of free love and hippies. Oh yeah, that and he hurt. was definitely not old enough to have had a girlfriend in the '60s because I don't think he was no. alive then. No, I mean, like, before he got with Ray de la Tour, he went with an ex-girlfriend of his, and, like, I thought she, the innkeeper ripped out the page from the guest book because he had been there with an ex-girlfriend who is now, uh, mysteriously, who who has mysteriously disappeared. That's what I got from it, and I thought that she had an abortion and died um, at the inn, modern day inn that was just running an underground illegal abortion. Oh, okay, that's, that's what juicier I thought. than what I thought. I thought it was just like very surface level. Like he had had an affair like a year earlier and went to that inn when it first opened because it was only open for like six months or something. Oh, uh, okay. And like he brought her there and then like because the ghosts, when he writes his song or whatever on the piano, oh, yeah, the then ghosts the ghosts finish the song and yeah. the ghosts like overlay him having sex with his mistress on the recording. Oh. I think. But honestly, the movie is a little ambiguous and your interpretation could also be just as accurate. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. 
But yeah, let's mention the husband now. I know we've already just been like talking shit about him for five minutes, but the husband is a jingle writer who wants to try to make it big as a composer. And instead of actually writing good music and like trying to write good music, he takes it all (laughs) out on his wife and is all like, oh, you're a horrible person. Like you don't want to be with me you hate me because I'm poor and blah 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 and she's all like what the fuck I know she's <laughs> like, like I've what never are you said about? any of these things <sighs> so okay have you seen Parks and Rec no okay so in it Chris Platt, Pratt plays this guy named Andy who is Sorry, a Chris Pratt who- is a dumb butt who... He's an asshole. Anna Farias is a queen. He never yes. should have left her. He's a piece of shit. Absolutely. Anyway. Also, he's part of a really terrible church that do not believe in gay rights. He's in a cult, basically. But Anyway, <laughs> he was in Parks and Rec when he used to be like a half-decent person back when he was young and kind of funny. Uh-huh. I always thought he was like... I don't give oh, a shit. Oh, he's cute, but like he's a... I hate him. <laughs> I just burped. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in Parks and Recreation in the first season, he's dating this woman, Anne Perkins, who is played by Rashida Jones, who is a goddess. She's beautiful. She's smart. She's talented. I love yeah. her. And she's a nurse, and she supports her lazy-ass boyfriend who fell into a pit while he was peeing into the pit and broke both of his legs and is a failed musician. And that is, that is this guy in this movie. He's a failed musician relying on his wife, who is, like, three months pregnant and still working full-time with PSD to support his lazy ass because he won't get a job because he thinks he's, like, some undiscovered Kurt Cobain. Apparently, I'm really fired up about this. (laughs) But it's okay. He Uh, dies. And then, okay, and then the innkeeper. Oh, my God. And then the innkeeper. What is her name? I want to say Shelly. It's Rose. Rose? For some reason, I wanted to say Shelly. No, Rose was the mother's Mother name. Mother Rose, and then, I don't know, the innkeeper, the awful lady. Yeah, anyway, the innkeeper, who turns out is her mother. She is the same person because she kills babies and injects their blood to remain young. That's like, a massive spoiler alert to everyone. Are you trying to be Elizabeth but, Bathory? Because we know that didn't work. She's not still alive. Uh, and then and then she fucking tries uh, to yeah. seduce the guy. Yeah, that whole part is what made me so confused about their what? relationship. I was like, did he stay there before with an ex-girlfriend and then also sleep with her? He's just fucking I everybody, just, including just, the puppet. Everything about this movie... Oh man, the fucking puppet! I there forgot should... about the puppet. That puppet. Nope. I take back all my comments about the CGI baby. That puppet was the scariest I'm part of go the entire to movie. A bunch of... Don't move the toys. The children play I'm with them. I'm going to buy a plane ticket or to whatever she said, and then I'm gonna go around to all the antique stores until I find that puppet, and then I'm gonna send it to you. I know there's no stopping you. There's nothing I can do or say it's okay. that would COVID stop you. Stops me. Apart from moving and not giving you my new address. I have your new address. <laughs> I'll move again. My lease is up in five months. <laughs> okay. But let's talk about the grave digger. Mother Rose's younger brother. Oh, yeah. The grave digger. digs graves and builds coffins in like a shack. Wait. So she he was the brother? He was Mother Rose's younger brother. Oh, right. Okay. The dead and baby she... was her baby demon. Her demon baby. So he... So Mother Rose had sex with the devil. And had a CGI baby. <laughs> and gave and birth she didn't to like a beautiful bouncing CGI baby. <laughs> she didn't like the baby because she... I feel like she just wanted to keep having sex with the devil. So she killed the baby by bashing it against a door, which, like, I didn't want to see that. No. Even that though it was not. obviously just, like, a pillowcase filled with oranges or something, but still. Like, um, I didn't realize that she just didn't like the baby. I thought they explained that the baby was deformed. The baby had hooves, like, 
every baby oh, from folklore. So they, were, they were alluding to he was deformed as in he looked like the devil himself. I don't know why I just did that weird accent. <laughs> no, it, it I, I am not drinking wine, unlike Anne. <laughs> That's not your name. <laughs> it's my middle name. It is your middle name. <laughs> Fun fact, Erin. Uh, I used to only call you Emily to Mia when we were f- publishing you because I kept forgetting which order your names went. <laughs> I was like, Emily. See, and she was like, no, Aaron. And I was like, Emily. And no, Aaron. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> I have I have relatives who call me Emily because for some reason people just think Emily is a better first name than Aaron. So, I mean, it is. A lot I'm of, just kidding. <laughs> a lot of people call me Emily. And I just kind of, like, I, I used to get frustrated by it and be like, no, my name's fucking Aaron. Get it through your thick skull. But now I'm just like, <laughs> call me whatever you want. I it's don't fine. care. At least people call you something that's in your name. I often get Melissa, Melanie. My dad <laughs> calls me Stacy, and Stacy is his sister, uh, who is on our <laughs> podcast. Uh, my Aunt Daisy. Um, my grandma and... called me Clancy the other day, which is her dead dog's name. <laughs> Oh, Grandma. <laughs> I'm like, that's not even a living dog's name, Nanny. Come on. It's not even close. Like, I know I can be a bitch, but come on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least nobody's like, hey, you cunt. They just call us by actual names. Yeah. Most of the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, where were we? Talking about a CGI baby. Uh... CGI baby should not exist. It's not okay. It's not okay. No, nobody asked for it. The movie would have been 10,000 times better without the CGI baby. That is and like, where they went wrong. And that CGI baby showed up within the first 15 minutes of the movie, I want to say. There was just, oh, there were so many cliches in this movie. Yeah. Let me pull up our Facebook conversation so I can skim through my notes that I took <laughs> last night while watching the movie. <laughs> I went to school for folklore. I know I know a bit about it. And one of the most common folk yeah. archetypes ever. So one of the biggest cliches on the planet is a stranger coming into your home asking for a dance, turning out to have cloven hooves, fucking you, you giving birth to the devil's baby and then always being attracted to the devil but wanting to get rid of the baby. Like every single culture has that. <laughs> Been there, done that. Don't want to do it again. No. I'm an English major, and literally half of the books that I read, not that's not true. I didn't, like, that's not true. But, you know, I, like, as an so English major, have and having a huge interest in gothic literature and things like that, like, uh, so many cliches in this movie. The whole, oh, can we, oh, sorry. Okay, we should probably save the end of the movie with the vagina dirt for the end of the podcast, but. No, the vagina dirt. The First vagina all, dirt. Okay. So this lady, Ray Ray de la de la Cour? Ray de la Tour. Ray de, de la Tour. That's she, not even how okay. she says it, but Your husband sucks. First of all, get rid of him. Yeah. Second of all, don't go on any romantic vacations to secluded haunted areas. Bad idea. Anyway, she finds out that she is a butterbox baby. She was born at oh, the maternity yeah. home. The creepy gravedigger guy saved her, sold her to, like, literally sold her to some people in Montreal who raised her. Mm-hmm. And then she has. Pierre. Oh yeah, this the whole this whole part of the story just made me think of Snow White, and how the evil witch in Snow White like hired the the like the knight the knight like a person in the castle to just like go kill Snow White in the middle of the woods. And, like, this guy was just like, I yeah. can't do it. I can't kill a baby. I can't kill a baby but, like, again. But, he literally Even has been killed burying other babies. babies. It's just like, oh, this All is of the which, devil's baby. It's special. L- let's mention that this movie makes specific reference to mention that all of the babies or the majority of the babies that they did kill and bury were uh, interracial babies. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Ugh. Yeah. This movie. I mean, at least the movie pointed it out. 
But I mean, in all fairness, that's legitimately what happened with the Butterbox yeah. babies in Nova Scotia. They did. Yeah. They had some very accurate historical moments. I won't lie. Mm-hmm. Should we? Oh, sorry. I'm still scrolling through my comments. Uh, the Simon Says part, like what? Okay. I never understood why the puppet kept saying Simon Says. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, the vagina dirt. Okay. The vagina dirt. So, so at the end of the movie, um, so this lady's okay. Now she's anyway. Gone everybody a lot dies. Of everybody dies except for the cop, and for Ray de la Tour, and um, instead of putting her up in like another hotel or bringing her to the hospital or even or the police station to, anywhere anywhere else. They have her, they br- the cops bring her back to the inn where she's endured all of this nightmarish nightmare shit. And also it's and worth mentioning that her mother, her birth mother, died in that bed giving birth to her. Oh my god. I forgot about that fucked up part. But yeah, the end of the movie ends with the cops being like, oh, it's so nice to have you back. And she's in bed uh, feeling kind of safe now after the whole ordeal. And then the cop leaves the room, the sheriff leaves the room, and suddenly she puts her hand underneath the blankets because she, like, feels something weird. And then she pulls her hand out, and it's grave dirt. It's graveyard dirt. That she pulls out of her vagina is what I'm assuming. Um, And then My hands are covering my face because I can't believe the audacity of this movie. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, CGI baby makes a return and crawls out from underneath the blankets. And it's another close-up shot of Ré de la Tour going, ah! And it's zooming in on her face really uncomfortably to be close. Fair, and Suzanne uh, Clement, who plays Ré de la yeah. Tour, is probably the best actor in the entire movie. But Absolutely. the movie does not do her justice. It does not really do a lot of things justice. I actually, I actually want to say that the innkeeper was a pretty she good was, actress she as was. well. And also, I don't. I, I mean, the guy was too, but like, he, I, I hate him so character. much. Yet I'm still very <laughs> attracted to him as like a person. He's 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 a hot guy. Yeah, I get it. Ugh. Yeah, he was pretty good. He's pretty good looking. Ugh. Okay, shall we anyway. talk about? Should we talk about the actual Butterbox babies? <laughs> Let's talk about some real dead babies instead of some CGI babies can now. We, can we put that Segway. on a t-shirt? Our first t-shirt as Femme Macabre. Let's talk about real dead babies instead of CGI dead babies. <laughs> Enough about CGI babies. Let's talk about real dead ones. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. So I may have had a couple of glasses of box wine from Costco because I'm a basic bitch. But this is, uh-huh, and I'm just delusional, delusional because you've been living a long in a week petri of dish of children. Anyway, yeah, okay. This is a serious story. It's heartbreaking. <laughs> it is unfortunately or fortunately, somebody made a really bad horror movie about it, so it's kind of a fun episode. But at the same time, a lot of babies actually did die in real life, so it's time. It's time for a little downer. Yeah. We've, we've been giving you the uppers, now we're going to give you the downers. Okay. The ideal maternity home operated in East Chester, Nova Scotia from the late 1920s through the late 1940s. William and Lila Young operated it. So the Youngs were a chiropractor and like half a, mid- half a midwife. Neither one of them were an actual doctor. Lila Young went to midwife school in, like, Boston, but then she quit, so she wasn't really a whole midwife, but they both advertised that they were full obstetricians. Quack. So, basically, (laughs) we have a small town in Nova Scotia in the 1920s to the 1940s, and we have a couple of fake doctors. Great. It's a great start. That's how all great fairy tales begin. So the ideal maternity home, which like, honestly, kind of a hilarious name. Mm-hmm. Not ideal. ideal. Not ideal in <laughs> any way. Zero. It's got zero stars on Yelp. 
too soon. I wonder soon. if it actually is a and b We should go. Let's go on a road oh. trip. Yeah. Sounds good. We'll do the East Coast and we'll go down to like um, New England and stuff too. I love the East Coast. Beautiful fall anyway. trip. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. So the ideal maternity home promised both maternity care for married couples and discreet care for unwed mothers. And a lot of these unwed mothers were from wealthy families in Halifax, the families of politicians, actors, all of the Eastern Canadian elite mm. sent their unwed pregnant daughters there. So a lot of the people could afford their exorbitant fees of like $300 in 1920 to deliver a baby. However, a lot of people could not afford that and had to work off their fees at the maternity home. Because of course, like, we talked about this in our last episode about unwed mothers being highly stigmatized in Ireland up until the 1980s. We can't pretend like that wasn't also a thing here in Canada. The women who couldn't afford the high fees of the ideal maternity home were forced to labor there as either they did laundry, they washed floors, they became nurses, they delivered babies. Could you imagine? Oh my god. Okay, this is one This is one image that has stuck with me from the book that I read about this, where women who were like, say, eight, nine months pregnant, they were not midwives, they had not helped birth a child, they weren't obstetricians. And here they are employed by two quack obstetricians. Yeah, they're not they're a chiropractor and like a half midwife they're not real doctors they don't know shit a literal midwife (laughs) (laughs) so these these poor young girls who are like poor as in unfortunate and also poor as in like they don't have much money they're poor unfortunate souls they're forced to help these mothers give birth in exchange for their room and board and no, like, mm-hmm. literally nobody in this house is qualified to help anybody give birth to anything. Like, no, no. So these, these women who are nine months pregnant are assisting in unsuccessful births. There's a ton of stillbirth. There's a ton of women dying in childbirth. And imagine being pregnant and having to deal with that and seeing so many dead babies knowing I'm next. Just, just picture, you had those big terrifying clamp scissors that cut the umbilical cord you are nine months pregnant you're about to pop you're like this is me in a week this is me in two days you go you cut the umbilical cord between a woman and her dead baby or a baby and its dead mother and you know that that is your fate soon that is the reality of the ideal maternity home in east chester nova scotia so lots of women and babies died that's just mm-hmm. that's just what happened. That's the reality of this place. That's the reality of the skills. They did not hire real doctors or nurses until they were forced to by lawsuits. And almost like almost worse than all of that is how much they profited from this. So, oh man. Back in the day, you couldn't adopt babies from Canada if you were American and vice versa. So the ideal maternity home started an illegal trade of babies. So these days, if you're if you're Canadian and you want to adopt a baby, cool. You sign up, you sign some forms, you get investigated by child services, whatever. It's a long process. Mm-hmm. But ultimately you pay administrative fees. Still, yeah. to this day in the United States, if you want to adopt a baby, you basically buy a baby. What the ideal maternity home was Ugh. doing in the 1920s to 1940s yep. was mm-hmm. they were selling babies to American couples for up to $10,000 a baby. $10,000 in 1930. That's a, that's a lot of money. That is so much money. And that's a shit not out of money right now. Not only was it right illegal now. to adopt a baby from Canada, it was illegal to adopt a baby outside of your religion. So what Lila and William Young at the Ideal Maternity Home did was they would pretend the baby wow. was whatever religion that the parents who were willing to pay for a baby was. So, for example, 
after, like, in the 1930s and 40s, it was really hard for Jewish couples to adopt babies. And there were restrictions on who could adopt what religion of what yeah. baby. So they would just pretend that all these babies were Jewish and sell them to Jewish couples. And then, which is, hmm. like, I find this almost funny because at some point they have to figure it out. But, like, couples who wow. wanted to adopt twins, if there were no twins, Lila and William Young would just pick two babies who kind of look similar and adopt them out as a pair of twins. Even though they, like, they weren't related at all to each other. But they'd be like, oh, here. shit. Here's some, like, there's That's... two brunette babies with hazel eyes. Those are twins. And so these wow. babies grew up as twins, even though technically they were, like, not biologically related at all. Imagine finding that on a <laughs> on a DNA test. Oh, my gosh. As I mentioned before, the Youngs were making about $10,000 per baby. Mm-hmm. However, most of these mothers expected nope. to go home with their baby at the end of their stay at the ideal mm. maternity home. They hadn't signed up for an adoption. They were told yep. that their baby died. So this is one thing that the movie The Child Remains got right. The ghost lady in the movie oh. is basically a woman who's like, my baby isn't dead, my baby's alive, where did you put my baby? That was her mom. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of mothers, a lot of mothers were told like that their baby had died, but it was actually adopted. And then in cases where babies were born with deformities or they were not white, they were mixed race, they were just anything that wasn't like the ideal mm -hmm. adoptable baby, quote unquote, those babies would be starved. But Lila and William Young didn't want to have the deaths of babies on their hands. So they told their nurses and the mothers who were forced to work as nurses that they were giving the babies formula, when in actuality they were giving, like, a very small amount of molasses mixed with water, which would slowly starve the baby to oh death. Oh my god! So researchers think that up to, like, a thousand babies died in this manner at the ideal maternity home. A thousand excluding, babies? Excluding, of course. Uh. Excluding, of course, the babies that died as miscarriages in stillbirth who died of natural causes after death or just died because they were not being attended to by real doctors or even real midwives. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, does not factor in the mothers who died yeah. after this. And then, of course, because all of these adoptions were unethical and illegal, inevitably, as we see with things like the 60s scoop in Canada, with illegal adoptions by white people from different countries mm -hmm. where they are literally just, like, paying... A mother to give them their baby and the mother often doesn't consent to this yep. a lot of the ensuing situations were situations in which children were abused in which children were used as slave labor in which children were just generally never accepted into their new adoptive family and ended up in really harmful situations why were there so many babies in this small town of halifax or a small town outside of halifax First of all, people came down from Halifax if they had money. Yeah. Second of all, this was happening during World War II. Guess who showed up in World War II? All these handsome, strapping soldiers who were really fucking horny and just wanted to sleep with anything. And all these young, lonely women whose husbands were dying in the war or lovers were dying in the war. And also there was just nobody else to hook up with. Everybody was horny. Everybody was fucking Lots of people ended up pregnant. Lots of people, therefore, ended up at the ideal maternity home in East Chester, Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. That's the reality of war and being stationed in different places around the world. Dudes from other countries are interesting. I get it. I get Ooh, it. an accent. <laughs> Why were these babies at the ideal maternity home called Butterbox Babies? Why, Erin? Actually, this is how I found out. This is how I found the story. Um, okay, tell me. <laughs> I actually can't remember. I just remember that they were buried in butter boxes. Therefore, butter Essentially, box babies. There is a big dairy industry around 
the area of the ideal maternity home. Mm -hmm. So butter boxes were easy to come by. Obviously, when you're running a home that there's a lot of young women living in, you're going to use a lot of butter. Because this is... Women love butter. 1940s. <laughs> I love butter. God. Give me some butter and a hunk of cheese. I'm happy forever. Obviously. Anyway. Lots of women. What are you going to do when there's lots of women in the house? They need butter. Okay. <laughs> okay. What I was actually getting at was they need to eat. And we cook with butter. But, and especially you know. since a lot of food in within those time periods was homemade food. You need butter to bake Food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not just women love butter. Although they do. Women do love butter. True facts. I speak as a woman. I love butter. <laughs> yeah, butter's good. My mom told me that as a child, uh, one of her snacks that she would have would be crackers with just butter spread on top. I mean, that's just like... Oh, I totally used to eat that. I mean, like, that's just like poor people Salt thing. But like... Salted butter. Yeah. I mean, sounds good. I'm not opposed. I've never tried it personally, but... It's delicious. The okay. amount of butter that I eat after on everything we... else. <laughs> after we finish recording, you have to go buy the cheapest crackers you can find and a block of butter and then eat the crackers with the butter. It's amazing. <laughs> All right. I'll give it a try. Our next episode will be a food review. <laughs> so... William and Lila Young, because they were super greedy and loved to keep every penny that came across their desks, instead of building coffins or buying coffins for the myriad of infants that died under their care, they just shoved them into the butter boxes that came with their weekly dairy delivery and then buried them in an unmarked grave outside of the home. I have no words. Like, how do we not learn about this in school? Right? Well, I mean, it's the same reason probably that we don't learn about the 60s scoop in school or any other horrific, horrendous Canadian atrocity that happened in history. We sure like to, like, in Canadian schools, I, honestly, school was great. I love school. I had a great Mm -hmm. education here. I'm very lucky Mm -hmm. to have gone to school in Canada, but we certainly like to skim over a lot of canadian atrocities yeah like any country that is invested in nationalism which is pretty much every country Mm -hmm. we like to emphasize what we did well and pretend that what we did wrong never happened Mm -hmm. i have to say though i did spend one week in a german high school when one of the first times that i went to germany and um I remember the first history class uh, that I attended with my friend because for some reason her school allowed me to come sit in her class <laughs> while I was just traveling. Were you and, in high uh, school? I graduated my high school, but she was finishing up her last year and <laughs> I was still in Germany the first week that she was starting school and I was leaving that weekend oh, okay. and she fully had permission from her school for me to just hang around um, and go to her classes with her. I did not understand a word of what was happening. Art class was fun because art, art is uh, art. Uh, but one of the classes that I went to with her was history, and one of the first lessons was fully about learning about the atrocities of World War II and how Germany was involved with all of that, and they did not shy away, at least from what I understood, from what I gathered, from what my friend was trying to translate for me, was that, you know, like, it's pretty typical in German, in in Germany in general, to not shy away from those things because they don't want those things to happen again. We could learn so much from that. I guess, like, the kind of uplifting end to this episode is that, like, in the 1990s, a lot of adoptees living in the U.S. found some of their birth parents in Canada. And oh, were that's reunited. nice. So that's pretty cool. We love a good but, reunion. Like, it's also just so disturbing that, one, women felt so so ashamed of being pregnant out of marriage Mm. that they went to this horrible home and two that the greedy ass motherfuckers at this home sold their babies if they didn't kill them 
It's just it's horrendous. God, it's this world is full of horrendous people who do horrendous things. And it's always shocking to me. Maybe that I don't know if it's like if sometimes I'm like, are we naive? Are we just like looking for the best in people? But this kind of thing still shocks me too. Yeah, I think you and I, Erin, we're in a place where we love scary movies because we know that it's not real. Whereas when we cover stories like this, it hits so much harder because we know that they're real. And I'm an emotional person. You're an emotional person. We're emotional people. We get invested in the stories that we research. I would describe myself as someone who is extremely empathetic to other people. and Big time. I feel feels really hard. And so when we deal with, when we research and talk about things like this in our episodes <laughs> of Femme Macabre, it's just, it's jarring and it's always shocking to me, no matter how many times we read about dead babies or how many times that we read about murdered women or, you know, like it doesn't matter what we cover on this show. It always hits me so hard. Yeah, and I think with this episode in particular, I think that, like, it took me a long time to, like, I I didn't actually write an episode. I just ad-libbed most of it because it's just such a heavy topic. And, like, when I grew, when I was growing up, we had a cabin, like, 40 minutes away from where this happened. Like, there's a good chance that when I was, like, a young teenager, we drove past the ideal maternity home or what remains of it. Um Mm. And, like, I think that in this case, the fact that there's a really terrible horror movie based on this makes it easier to process and talk about. And yeah. I I almost wonder that if we hadn't watched that movie, if it would have been, like, if we would have put this episode off for months and months and months because it's just so difficult to talk mm-hmm. about the fact that we're in our late 20s and we didn't know this happened until, like, a month ago. Yeah. And also it's hard to reconcile with your own ignorance sometimes. And I think what's also difficult is the fact that this most definitely was not the only maternity home in Canada or in the US to have been doing this type of thing. Absolutely. And like I know for a fact that there was a maternity home in Edmonton, like three hours north of where I am. Um, and I know, like, we mentioned the 60s scoop briefly earlier, mm-hmm. but the 60s scoop was essentially the Canadian government selling indigenous children that they took from their families to couples. Right off the street, might I add. Walking yeah, home so from they... their schools, walking home, minding their own business. <clears throat> The Canadian government sold children to couples who wanted children and often abused these children or used them as free labor on farms. And that happened up until the 60s and 70s. And honestly, it is still Mm -hmm. happening now. And also not to mention, a lot of those children were forced into residential schools. And one of the last residential schools in Canada closed in the mid-1990s. Which is within our lifetime. Yes. But it wasn't until I went to U Ottawa for my teaching degree that we had a full-on lesson about the 60s scoop and residential schools and how that affected the education system within Canada and also just affected people everywhere in Canada. Um Mm-hmm. It just needs to be taught to everyone in high school. And I think that's something that's really something exciting that I've heard from my friends who are high school teachers is that they're, at least in Ontario, from what I gather is that there is a brand new course that is mandatory for all students and it's uh, Indigenous, uh, I can't remember the name of the course, but they take a look at Indigenous literature and they look into the history, culture, um, and all sorts of things that have to do with everything. And so... Oh, yeah. We are in the midst of 
what a lot of people call an indigenous renaissance of literature music and art if you are not paying attention to indigenous canadians and the work that they are producing right now you are missing out Mm -hmm. absolutely and that's something that i've learned as well is you know there is a difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation and you know obviously be mindful of where that line is be respectful but also don't be afraid to appreciate and celebrate indigenous culture arts languages you know that is what's needed right now in order for real reconciliation to happen Mm -hmm. within our country yeah and we have to be aware of appreciating people of minority status in any way for their Mm -hmm. stories regardless we we are not here to just uh, as white people we're not here to just absorb the stories of people who have undergone trauma we are here to appreciate absorb and recognize the works of people simply for their own brilliance their own accolades and it doesn't have to be trauma porn for us to understand and empathize with people I think that's what we run into a lot is people, mm-hmm. white people especially, only care about consuming literature or art or film or music or whatever by marginalized people if it has trauma porn and if it satisfies some white savior need in them. No. That's not what we're here for. We like went on a huge detour there. <laughs> oh my God. I'm at 70 minutes of recording. I guess thanks for listening to Femme Macabre. If you enjoyed today's yeah. hodgepodge Frankensteinian episode, I guess. Mm-hmm. This is definitely a weird episode compared to a lot of other things that we've we've talked about. But I think I think it was better for us to ad lib a lot of it in order to be able to talk about the horrific things that happened. A lot of times, it's not the straight facts that make an impact, but the impressions they leave and the stuff that sticks with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we hope that you got something out of this episode. We hope that it is salvageable once I start editing it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we hope that you'll tune in next week for another episode about something horrific. A slightly... (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say slightly less horrific thing, but... Let's be honest. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Black Lives Matter. Indigenous Lives Matter. Read a book. Bye. What she said. Bye. Podcast come to.